Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. As we begin tonight, I want to put a picture up on the screen, and I want you to kind of have a conversation with your neighbor to see if you recognize what this is a picture of, all right? I want you to see if you can figure out what this is as you look at this picture. This is a picture of a mountain that between 1927 and 1941, over 400 different men and women making simply $8 an hour, worked for 14 years to bring about a transformation on the face of this mountain. I want you to see the way we see this mountain today. How many of you knew that's what it was? Oh, I'll see everybody says that. Now, of course you know now. I've already put the picture up there, right? It's Mount Rushmore. Now, here's an interesting point about Mount Rushmore. 90% of this mountain was carved using dynamite. That's how they did it. They used dynamite to get this image to what we now call Mount Rushmore with these great American heroes up there. They used dynamite to produce that. This amazing transformation that took place on the face of this mountain was not possible without the power to make it happen. And as amazing as that transformation is, there's a transformation that every human being needs. And unlike Mount Rushmore, it's not simply a change that happens on the outside. Every human being needs to experience a transformation on the inside, where God does something inside of us that changes us from the inside out. And the reason we need to experience this transformation is because what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. I want to put this verse up on the screen and I want you to read it out loud with me tonight. You ready? One, two, three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That verse tells us two things. First of all, it tells us something about our past. It says all have sinned. That's a past tense statement. It describes something that's already true about me. And here's what it says about every one of us. Every human being on planet earth has already sinned against God. And you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I've met a whole lot of people over the course of my life. I've never met anybody, even people that don't believe the Bible, ignore God, could care not less about Christianity. I've never met anybody who said, nope, not me. I'm perfect. I've never made a mistake. I've not done anything wrong. 
The Bible says all of us in our past have sinned against God. That word sin is a word that means to miss the mark. It's the picture of a target that you're aiming at. And the Bible says we've all missed the target. God's defined, holy, righteous standard, we've all missed it. That's in our past. But the verse tells us something else. It tells us something about our present. It says all have sinned, we've missed the mark, and fall short. Have sinned is past tense, fall short is present tense. It describes the ongoing continuous action of our life, meaning that we've not only already sinned against God, but we continuously do not measure up to the holy righteous standard that God has revealed in His Word about who He is, who His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His law. We have all missed God's mark, and we constantly do not measure up to that standard of righteousness. You say, well, if that's the condition we're all in, why is it such a big deal? Well, here's why it's a big deal. Because our sin has separated us from a relationship with God. You see, God is holy. And because God is holy... He will not be in fellowship with sin. Yes, it's true God is love. It's true God is is gracious. It's true that that God is, is all of those things. But none of those things disqualify the reality of the holiness of God. And because God is holy, He will not be in fellowship with sin. And because all of us have already sinned and we continuously fall short of God's standard, God's God's desire, then all of us are robbed of the ability of a relationship with God. And the reality is that you and I were put on this earth. We were created by God to enjoy a relationship with Him. And to live in fellowship with other human beings out of the overflow of our love relationship with Him. That's the meaning and significance of life. That's the purpose of life. It answers the big question, what on earth am I here for? You're here to know God and out of the overflow of your relationship with God to live in fellowship with other human beings. But sin has robbed us of the ability to have a relationship with God. And so every human being needs a transformation. Not like the mountain on the outside. We need a change on the inside where God deals with our sin issue. But here's the problem. Left to ourselves, you and I don't have the power to bring about that transformation. That means I can from today Try to be as good as I can try to be. And it's never going to change the fact that I've already sinned against God. And I've already fallen short of God's standard. I can from this point forward strive to be as moral as I can be. But it will not erase the fact that my sin has already separated me from God. I can try to become as religious as I can become. But see, the reality is all of those things are me trying to do some things on the outside. And the real transformation needs to happen on the inside. And I don't have the power. And you don't have the power To make that change in our lives. But I have good news for you this weekend. Because the power to deal with our sin. And transform our relationship with God. Is what Easter is all about. If you have a Bible. 
I want you to open it to Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture here in Romans tonight as kind of our foundation where Paul talks about the reality of this power that God has given us. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Here's what it says. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the, say the next word out loud, power. You know what that word is in the Greek language? It's the word dunamis. You know what English word we get from that? Dynamite. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the dynamite. It's the power of God for what? For salvation. What is that? It's that transformational work on the inside that changes me from the inside out. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So out of that simple little verse, I want to ask two questions and we're done tonight. Here's the first one. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Paul uses that word here. It's a word that literally means good news. What is the good news that he's talking about? Well, he gets more specific about the gospel in another letter called 1 Corinthians. Look at this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what he said. He said, now I make known to you, brethren, the what? Say it out loud. Gospel. I make known to you the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, I received this gospel. I heard this good news. Now I'm giving you this same good news. What is it? Look what he says. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's everything they just sang about. That Christ died for our sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. On Easter Sunday morning, he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave. That is the gospel. I want to put it in a little short sentence that I want you to read off the screen with me tonight. Here is the gospel. Let's read it. One, two, three. Jesus died for our sins. We're going to start over and do it again, all right? You can't read the gospel that week. you got to read the gospel with some passion. So let's do it again. One, two, three. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead. That is a great place to say hallelujah. Everything that we are, everything that we have, all the joy that we know in knowing God is made possible through the power of the gospel. But I think there are many who would say, even before maybe coming in here tonight, if somebody had said, what is the gospel? You might could have said, well, it's Jesus. He died. He rose again. That's the gospel. Well, let me give you a couple of implications of this gospel in our lives. Here's the first one. Through his death, I experience the power of forgiveness. Isn't that a good word? Forgiveness. Say it out loud. Forgiveness. Listen, it is true that we've all sinned against God. It is true that we constantly fall short of God's standard. It is true that because of our sin, we are separated from a relationship with God. And it is also true that there is nothing you and I can do to change that situation. But the gospel says Christ died for 
our sin. That little word for is a word that means on behalf of or in the place of. Here's what that means. On the cross. What is the significance of the death of Jesus? Why does a death 2,000 years ago matter? Here's why. Because God sent His only Son into the world to deal with our sin. His death was all about our sin being taken care of. On the cross, Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin and He bore that on Himself on the cross And on the cross, God extinguished His wrath against sin. He poured out all of His judgment against sin on Christ. And Christ literally died for our sin. But He did not stay dead. God raised Him from the dead as a testimony that He had accepted His sacrifice for our sins. And the the Bible word for that is now forgiveness. You and I can be forgiven. Now, we hear that word forgiveness, and for most of us, it's a term that we're familiar with. It's a term that we even use in our everyday, I, I forgive you. you. Maybe somebody did something to you, and you say, hey, I, I forgive you. But unfortunately, our understanding of forgiveness and God's definition of forgiveness are not the same. Here's the way we tend to forgive. I forgive you, but I'm going to take this, and I'm going to file this over here, and I'm going to hang on to it. Because there's going to come a point in time where I'm going to need to pull it back out again. So I'm going to file this away. But in the moment that I need it, you need to be sure that when I need you to remember, I'm going to go back to the file. I'm going to drag it back out in front of you. And I'm going to remind you what you did. And that's the way most of us think about God's forgiveness. But that is not the way God forgives. Let me show you a definition of forgiveness from what the Scripture teaches. Here it is. Forgiveness is the removal of the guilt and shame of my sin, past, present, (laughs) and, say it out loud, future. You say, wait a minute. Pastor, are you trying to tell me tonight that in Christ, I can even be forgiven of sins that are in my future? Well, You do know that when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins were still in the future. That's going to sink in for some of you a little later on tonight. But here's what that means. If the sufficiency of Christ's death was not sufficient for sins in the future, we're all in real trouble because all of our sins were after His death, burial, and resurrection. Here's what the Scripture says. When Jesus died on the cross for our sin, all the sins of the past, all the sins of our present, and all the sins of our future have already been dealt with in Christ. You say, Pastor, if you tell people that, they're just going to go live however they want to live. Listen, you're right, but when you've experienced the grace of that kind of forgiveness, It changes the way you want to live. From the inside out, God calls us to a life of holiness and purity and righteousness because I've been forgiven much in my life. Paul says, because we've been forgiven, we are blessed. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 4, verse 7. Look what he says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. And whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. 
Paul says, because of Christ and what he did in the story of the gospel, you and I are so blessed to experience the forgiveness of God. And in those verses, he tells us three things about God's forgiveness and reasons why we should be blessed. Number one, I'm blessed because in Christ, God has removed my sin. Did you hear what he said? How blessed are those who've been forgiven. The word forgive in the New Testament, it's a Greek word that's made up of two words that are put together. And they literally mean to send away from. It's the idea of removing something from us. Here's what it says. I was here. God was there. My sin separated me from God. In order for me to have a relationship with God, my sin had to be removed. There was nothing I could do to make that happen. But God sent His Son. Jesus stood in the gap. He took all of the sin. He died on the cross for it. And now the Bible says we're blessed because Jesus has removed our sin from us. You say, well, how far has he removed it? Well, the writer of Psalms tells us. Look at it in Psalm 103. Look what it says on the screen. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You say, how far is that? Well, let's try to figure that out. Imagine tonight that I'm standing here with a globe. And let's just say I put my finger on the South Pole. And I begin to run my finger north on that globe, and I run all the way to the top. When I get to the top of that globe, what am I going to hit? North Pole, right? It's not a trick question. You can answer. The North Pole. Now, when I cross the North Pole, now what am I doing? I'm heading what? South. When I get all the way to the bottom of that globe, what am I going to hit at the bottom? South Pole. And then I'm going to start doing what? You know, if God had said, I have separated your sins from you as far as the north is from the south, you know what that would mean? (laughs) There's a point where you cross a line and that's too much because that's a measurable distance. North and south, we know the distance between north and south. But God did not say, I've separated your sins from you as far as the north is from the south. He said, I've separated your sins from you. I've removed them as far as the east is from the west. You say, how far is that? Well, let's go back to our globe. Put your finger on it. Let's start going east. When we start going west, when we stop, turn around and go the other direction, right? You can go east forever. God said, I've so forgiven you in Christ that in Christ I have taken all of the sin that separated you from me and I have removed it from you in infinity. There is no distance greater than that. God said the power of the gospel is that you've been forgiven and your sins have been removed. Let me tell you a second reason he says we're blessed. We're blessed because in Christ God has covered our sin. Do you hear what Paul said in Romans? He said, how blessed are those whose sins have been covered. It's a word that means to, to take a blanket and to cover it over so that you can't see it anymore. Well, how well has God covered our sins? Well, the prophet Micah in the Old Testament was one day thinking about that. And listen what he wrote down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God in Micah chapter 7. Look on the screen. He said, who is a God like you? He's just so overwhelmed at the forgiveness of God. He said, there's nobody else like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession. 
He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast. Now say the word I have underlined for you. That's an important word. Amen. Aren't you glad it didn't say most? Or the little ones or some. No, look what he said. I will cast all their sins into thee. Say that phrase out loud. Depths of the sea. You ever lost anything in the ocean? I mean, there's lost and then there's ocean lost. You lose something around the house and you think, ah, it'll turn up. I'll find it in a couple of weeks. You lose something in the ocean, it's gone, baby, right? I mean, there's nobody says, ah, it'll turn up. I'll find it. No, it's just gone. One of my favorite things to do, my youngest daughter, Faith, and I, we, when we go to the beach, we like to get our buckets and go out and get in the shallows about this deep, and we'll walk along the ocean as far as we can walk on the beach where we are, and we'll just look for seashells. And sometimes you'll be walking along, and you'll see a seashell, and you'll reach to grab it, and I'm talking about this deep of water, before you can get your hand on the seashell, it's gone. And you can move sand around, and it's just, you can't find it. The thing is just gone. I mean, sometimes we'll be walking along, and I'll see one. I'll try to, you know, put my foot on it real fast. And then you think, oh, Lord, I hope that was a seashell, right? And then you go over there. But even then, sometimes when you get there, it's just gone. And that's just the shallows. Micah said, God has covered, he's buried our sin in the depths of the sea. Well, how deep is that? Well, to be honest with you, we don't know for sure. Oceanographers tell us that the deepest trench we know of in the ocean is off the coast of Japan. It's called the Mariana Trench. It's over 36,000 feet deep. To give you some kind of box to put that in. The highest mountain peak on planet earth is Mount Everest. And it is just over 29,000 feet tall. So we're talking about the depths of the ocean are deeper than the highest heights of any mountain that we know of on planet earth. And if that's not a big enough chasm for you to think about, think about it like this. The Mariana Trench is five times wider than it is deep. That means it's 120 times larger than the Grand Canyon. And God said, I've taken all of your sin in Christ. All of the sin of your past. All of the sin of your present. And all of the sin of your future. And in Christ, I have covered your sin with the depths of the sea. That is the power of the gospel. But then he tells us a third thing. He says that I'm blessed because in Christ God never remembers my sin. He never looks at it again. The scripture in Romans chapter 4 said that he will not take into account. He said how blessed are those to whom the Lord does not take into account their sin. That phrase take into account it's the Greek word logizomai. We get our English word logic from it. 
It means literally to take into one's mind together, to, to put something together in your mind, to think about it, to dwell on it. The Bible says that because of what Jesus did, God never looks on, thinks about, reflects on our sin again. I want you to do something for me. I want you to all scoot up and sit on the edge of your seat for just a moment, all right? And no, this is not a photo op so that they can say, man, look at everybody sitting on the edge of their seat when Pastor Vance was preaching. I want you to lean up. And with you sitting in that perspective, I want you to look what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 38 about what God did with our sin. The Bible says, it is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you have cast, say the word again, all my sins behind your back. It's the Hebrew construction here for the middle of your back. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the exercise. I want you right now to look at the middle of your back. Go. You're not trying. Come on. Now, if you successfully can do that, when we finish, you need to drive to the closest emergency room in Las Vegas because something is broken if you can do that. You can sit back. You can relax again. What's the point? You can't see the middle of your back, right? Do you hear what God said? Here's what I did in the power of the gospel. In the power of the gospel in Christ, I took all of your sin and God said, I've put it somewhere where I will never look at it again. You ever said this to the Lord? Lord, it's me again. God, I did it again. You know what he says? Again. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no recollection of that ever in your life. Listen, not because I deserve that. Not because I've earned that. Because in Christ, God has fully dealt with all our sin, past, present, and future. That is the power of the gospel. I experience forgiveness. But here's the second thing. The second implication of the gospel. Through his resurrection, I experienced the power of his life. You see, there are a lot of people who hear this good news that I've talked about, about the forgiveness of God that's available in Christ. And here's what a lot of people assume. In order to get in on that great forgiveness, I must be able to live the Christian life. You may be here tonight and you're hearing me describe this wonderful forgiveness that God in Christ has removed your sin. God has covered your sin. And God will never look on your sin again. God doesn't see you as a sinner trying to do the best that you can. He sees you as his son or daughter redeemed in the blood of Christ. As righteous as Jesus himself. And some of you hear that and you think, man, in order to get in on that, I, I must be able to live the Christian life. And pastor, you just need to hear me. You don't know me. I can't do that. I can't live up to that. Can I let you in on a secret? I can't either. And that was never the deal. You see, Christianity is not Jesus died for you so that you could live for Him. He didn't just die. He rose again from the dead. Jesus died for you to deal with your sin. And Jesus rose again from the dead that He can now live 
through you. Christianity is not you and me living for Jesus. Christianity is you and I allowing Christ in us to live through us in the power of the resurrection. The same faith that allows me to trust Christ for my salvation is the same faith that I depend on Him with daily to live His life through me. That is the power of the gospel. He died so that we could be forgiven and he lives so that we can be free to allow Christ to live in and through us. Ivor Powell said it this way. I love this quote. Christ is not just a figure of history. One who lived and moved among men. He is someone to be met, to be loved, to be enjoyed. We looked And found him in the pages of the Bible. Someday we shall see him returning in the clouds of heaven. But the greatest and best of all. We find him in the events of daily life. There in a most remarkable fashion we hear his voice. We feel the pressure of his hand and know his presence. He left the tomb. So that by the ministry of his spirit. He could reside with us forever. You see, today, my hope of being the husband that I'm supposed to be is not in my ability to will myself to be a better husband. My hope to be the husband that I'm supposed to be is that Christ died and rose again and He now lives in me. And if I'll depend on Him, Christ through me can make me the husband I never dreamed I could be. As a father, my hope today is not in me willing myself to be a better father. No, my hope today is that Christ in me can live through me and be a father that I could never be left to myself. My hope today is a friend a co-worker, an employer, a neighbor is not in my ability to will myself to do better. It's Christ in me living through me. That is the glorious power of the gospel. We're free in Christ. No wonder Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power, the dynamite of God to change a man from the inside out. You see, growing in Christ's likeness is not me getting better. It's not me trying harder. Growing in Christ's likeness is more of Christ in me, living through me. That's why I stand before you today and say at Hope, we are not ashamed of the gospel. Just like Jesus in my life and in Sal's life that you heard about in that video and in lives all over this room tonight, you can experience the power of the gospel and be changed from the inside out. And that leads me to the final question. Who? Who can experience the life-changing power of the gospel? Well, let's go back where we started. Romans chapter 1. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to... Say the next word out loud. There's one sense in which the gospel message is very inclusive. The power of the gospel is sufficient to save everyone. But there's another sense in which the gospel is very exclusive. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, what God has done in Christ 
is available to anyone who will believe in the gospel. What does it mean to believe in the gospel? Well, it means a lot more than just acknowledging some facts in your head. Oh yeah, I know that he died. I know that he rose again. I get all that. Listen, every demon in hell believes that. They know it. They saw it. It's not just about accepting some facts. It's about a surrender of your life. Let me try to illustrate it. I'm going to ask Scott sitting right here. Scott, step up here and help me for a minute. Scott, I want to ask you to stand right here. I want you to turn around and face that direction. I want to ask you a question. All right? Scott's been working out. Scott, <laughs> do you believe that I will catch you if you fall? Yes. For the record, it was hesitant, but he said yes. There are a lot of people like Scott who I would say to Do you believe that Jesus can save you? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Do you believe that he has the power to change your life? They'd say, yes, I believe that. That's intellectual belief. Let me show you what real faith looks like. Scott, I'm going to ask you to hold your arms like that. And I'm going to take a step back. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to fall. One, two, three. Three. That was close. (laughs) Now, that's faith. There are a lot of you who would say, I believe. But you know what needs to happen for some of you tonight? It's time for you to fall. It's time for you to throw yourself wholly on the mercy and the grace of God that is available. The Bible word for that is surrender. When Scott fell backwards, he surrendered. Wherever I went, he was going, right? If I went down, he was going down. If I came this way, he was coming with me. Why? Because he surrendered the control of himself in that moment. Biblical faith is you surrendering the control of your life to Jesus and accepting, receiving him as Lord and Savior of your life. 